0: Help us this morning, as as inarticulate as it may be, as, as much as we may fumble and stumble, grasping for ways to describe the weightiness of what it means that you came, thank you that you will meet us in the trying. Because the whole point is that you meet us where we're at. So Spirit of God, we acknowledge your presence in our midst, Help us to recalibrate where necessary our thoughts about what Christmas is all about. Help us to recalibrate where necessary our thoughts of You and our understanding of You and our thoughts and understanding of ourselves in light of the fact that You became a little baby. Yeah, Jesus, you want to encounter us more than we want to be encountered by you. So may we relax into that, lean into that reality and be met by you this morning. Last night I was stressing. I mean, think about a think about a pro, like an NFL quarterback. What does an NFL quarterback live for, work for, train for? The Super Bowl, right? Imagine NFL quarterback, fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, down by three. You know, or think about a major league baseball player. To use another sports analogy, women will have to to find a, but. To use another sports analogy, think about a Major League Baseball player up to bat with the bases loaded and two outs in Game 7 of the World Series. It's like the moment, it's the thing they live for, right? But pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, what was the other one I was thinking? Oh, maybe, a, maybe an actress on Broadway in front of a you know, standing room only kind of thing for maybe their first show or maybe their last performance. Pressure, right? So what do I say all that for? A pastor doing a Christmas service? Are you kidding me? Oh, relax, enjoy it. Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden it hit me. You know what? I can relax and enjoy it. This is what's been blowing my mind the last few days. This is, this is where I landed last night. All of a sudden, this, something clicked for me, and this is what I want to bring you into. What clicked for me? Something clicked for me, and all of a sudden, I was able just to... And I went upstairs, and I started packing for our trip. And I was like, Jesus, you're in this, and you're with us. And I don't have to contrive anything. I don't have to try to make it this magical, wonderful performance. Because something you need to know about me is I'm a, I'm a recovering performance Christian. I'm the only one, right? Yeah, good. Hi, my name is Chris, and I'm a performance-aholic. I like people's approval, and Jesus is healing me of that. And Christmas gave me profound insight into what's going on there last night. And this is what hit me. The reality of Jesus' entrance into the world is overwhelmingly underwhelming. Wait, what? You know what I mean, don't you? The reality of Jesus' entrance into the world was overwhelmingly underwhelming. I mean, rewind for a minute. Imagine if we could go back to before the Christmas story. Say that you're, you're an Israelite waiting for the coming of Yahweh, the coming of your God that's done these incredible things, that you, you followed this God through the wilderness with a what, pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, and... You've seen these incredible things and all of a sudden you, you catch wind, this, this whisper that this God is coming back into your midst, this God that created everything, this God that transcends the distance of the ocean and the stars in the sky, that's, this God that's more vast than a universe that's infinite and yet ever expanding. Now, if you were that kind of God, how would you make your entrance? Into the world. Or if we could rewind and go back before Christmas, what kind of entrance would you imagine? Think about that for a minute. What kind of entrance would you imagine that kind of God making an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God that's the most beautiful, the most captivating, the most glorious? You would want to make your entrance count, wouldn't you? I watch a lot of kids' movies because I have some kids. I think about the movie Megamind. Anybody seen that? Anybody seen Megamind? Come on. Yeah. Megamind, the supervillain. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, this guy that he, I won't tell you the whole story, but anyways, there's this guy, he's like, I'm a supervillain. And he says, he says, you're not a supervillain, you're just a villain. He says, what's the difference? And then Megamind does this big old thing, with, there's this, what's the song? Um, yeah, it's, there's this, it's like... Uh, Yeah, Welcome to the Jungle. So, like, Welcome to the Jungle starts playing, and there's, like, smoke and mirrors and lights and dazzling effects. And and he's like, the difference between a villain and a supervillain? Presentation. And it's just like this (laughs) crazy big show, you know? And I feel like that's kind of maybe the expectation that sometimes American Christians carry into a Christmas service. I don't feel that way here, but that's kind of what I found myself sliding under, kind of getting sucked under last night. I was like, we've got to make it big, we've got to make it glorious, we've got to make it booming. I mean, it's Christmas. Christmas is the thing that it's, this is what it's all about. Some of you guys look at me like, that's weird. Good. I hope you're looking at me like, that's weird, but I'm just being honest, that's what I started getting sucked into, is this is the most important thing. The creator of the universe stepped into our humanity. This is the thing that started it all, really. It's We've got to talk about it in a way that does it justice, a way that gives it dignity. And then I started looking at the birth story of Jesus and I realized, wow, how much dignity was there in human terms in the birth story of Jesus? Absolutely zero. But go back to this again. I mean, think about, so we drive down the street around Christmas time looking for houses that are what? that are all lit up, right? We stop and we pause and it's are just like, ooh, ah, right? Christmas Tree Lane in Fresno, anybody? Been on Christmas Tree Lane? Pound sign mind-blowing, right? It's like, it's, oh, some of you guys call it hashtag. You'll, you'll come around. But, I mean, Christmas Tree Lane is this incredible thing of just of lights and glitter and show and, and it's just spectacular. And that's what Christmas has become to a lot of us, I think. It's just, this wonderful show. And then I look at the birth story of Jesus, and I'm like, wow. It's, a, it's so incredibly underwhelming. If we take a look at it real quick, it's Luke 2, 1 through 7. I didn't get a chance to, yeah, 3 is a step ahead of me, which is good. Look at this with me for a minute, and then I just want to take a few minutes and share some things that this means to me. That's kind of all I can do, right? In those days, this is Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, it's my cousin's middle name. Um, Was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed? betrothed, betrothed, let's go with that, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Who's hearing that story for the first time this morning? Okay, I didn't think so. How underwhelming is that? They're going to some town that the king of the universe is coming into the world, and he happens to be born in a place that his parents had to go to run an errand. Right? Right? where his parents had to go to run Aaron, they came there from a town called Nazareth, which is a town of, get this, probably about 400 people. 400 people. Remember when Nathaniel, I think it's Nathaniel, he hears about Jesus and he's like, seriously, he's from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I used to hear that about Madeira. (coughs) Sorry, any fellow Maderians hear that? Can anything good come from Madeira? I don't know. Four hundred people. We're talking like Podunk country, tiny, and this is the town that Jesus, the King of the Universe, wants to associate Himself with. It's a town of four hundred people, and so this this inn idea. There's no room for them at the inn. How many of you guys picture the Best Eastern or Best Western? Or we think of an inn, we picture a hotel, motel type. Thing, right? It's like they're showing up and there's a no vacancy sign. That's not what Luke is saying. The word in that Luke uses... Our lights are, Yeah, that's right. It's We've got to have some dazzle, some bling. The word in is not... Luke isn't giving us a picture of something that's like a Best Western or some motel that have a no vacancy sign. The word in that would represents something like that is found in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan finds the guy beaten by the side of the road and he takes him to an inn? That's kind of like a hotel, motel type thing. That's a different thing. That's a different Greek word. This is actually more like, so the the homes in those days would have been two-story for most of the people that would have had, most of them would have had animals. These would have been two-story homes. And so the top story is where people actually lived and slept and spent their time and underneath them would have been what? Give you a hint. It was kind of radiant heat, right? In-floor in floor heating. All the animals would be hanging out underneath. So the guest room would have been upstairs. These would be the, the homes of a relative. So basically this is saying that there was no room in the guest room of the relatives Joseph and Mary were going to visit when they went to register Jesus. That changes the dynamic a tiny bit, doesn't it? Even their families, didn't have or make space for them. So, this first level where all the animals would be hanging out, they would obviously be out during the day, but then at night the animals would come in under shelter. And Jesus is born right in the thick. I didn't really, it didn't register to me what a manger was until a couple days ago. Like, literally, you guys know what a manger is, right? It's just something that the animals would come and feed out of. Of course, I, I, I get that in my head. I'm like, duh, that's, of course that's... But that's not really what we have pictures of on our nativity scenes, right? It's kind of like a, a makeshift crib, right? Or cradle or something. But no, like Jesus was literally... It's like Mary gives birth to the Son of God and is looking around. There's no NICU. There's no like warming bed or anything like that, it's like, uh, oh, well, push the horses away. Push the donkeys away. Throw Jesus in there. We might want to put some cloth down. That's what the animals would feed out of. And that's what the Son of God is born into. How much dignity is in that? How underwhelming is that? I mean, seriously, if if you guys were going to do the entrance into the world thing, wouldn't you have done it differently? If you were this all-powerful, all-glorious, all-beautiful God, I probably would have done it differently. So then I started connecting that with what I was feeling last night. I was like, why was I feeling so much pressure? I realize that I feel so much pressure at times, because a lot of what Christianity has become is about the packaging of what you bring. Would you agree? And I'm not trying to make a critical or judgmental statement about anybody. I'm telling you my story, for me, my Christianity, was more about the packaging of what I brought. Hey, it looks really good on Christian paper, on a Christian resume, to be a missionary in China. I'm just going to be honest with you. Not that there were totally impure motives in that, but if you want to gain spiritual points in the eyes of people, that's one thing that won't take points away this is going to be a missionary in China. Or even Christmas services. I, Bree and Kathy and I thank you, too, for kind of sprucing the place up a little bit. But you notice how we didn't want to go too overboard either? We wanted to be kind of subtle, but th- at the same time, it's like, well, it's Christmas. You have to do something. I mean, I even dressed a little different today. I'm sure none of you noticed. <laughs> Laura noticed. <laughs> yeah, one person even commented. No, everybody's like, "What? Well, what happened to you? I didn't go to bed till three, so I'm not really in my right mind right now. Um, but it was like, well, it's Christmas, right? You got to do something different. And so we think, let's make it nicer. Let's make it more beautiful. Let's decorate. Let's spice it up. And Jesus says, it's Christmas. Let's go to the absolute bottom of the barrel. Let's be born into the gutter. Why? Wouldn't Jesus want spiritual points? I mean, he was born to a carpenter. And the carpenter and his mom aren't even married. Like, she could have got stoned for being pregnant, right? Right? This is sketchy, suspicious, dangerous stuff. But do you guys ever feel like you get swallowed up into that game? You feel like you get caught up in that game of being a good Christian on the outside, regardless of what's going on on the inside? It's like, well, I know that this is a a religious activity. I know that being a Christian means I probably should take part in this, or I probably should do that, or I know it'll look good for me if I do that. Anybody ever find yourself... Maybe not living out of that, but kind of being tempted to be sucked into that vortex a little bit. It's like the game is well, try harder, be gooder, be more spiritual. And I played that game for a long time. And that's the game that I was trying not to play last night. And, and Jesus comes, and he's born in a manger. And you know what I think he's doing? One of the things? He's not trying harder. He's not practicing. He's not working hard at the game. He comes behind the game and he pulls the plug on it and says, I refuse to play this way. I refuse to get sucked in to a world of appearances, facades, and packaging. Because I know who I am, regardless of the circumstances surrounding my birth, my life, my status. He says, I am deeply convinced that I am I am. And I think when you when we start to get that because isn't isn't a lot of our life made up of I am nots? Anybody? I mean, for me, what was the pressure I was sitting under last night? Well, if I don't do good enough a good enough Christmas message, I am not a what's the word, you know, the good enough caliber of a pastor. I am not this, I am not that. That was my whole life. If I'm not this kind of missionary, if we don't do this, if we don't do that, I am not. I am not enough. I'm not sufficient. And so we put things around us, experiences or language even, or activities to be enough. And Jesus says, you know what? None of those things are going to make me enough because I am. Period. For Jesus, you know where the dignity is found in the story? This is what's beautiful. Right. This is what's beautiful in the story. In the midst of these humble beginnings, I mean, Just think for a minute about the smell that the Son of God was born into. Jesus' first entrance into the world smelled like animal crap. That was Jesus' first entrance into human flesh was the smell of dirty animals. And yet there's so much dignity in the story. One of the pieces of dignity is that Mary and Joseph, you know, Joseph could have totally shamed Mary, thrown her under the bus and And walked away, right? But he didn't do that. Another piece of dignity is this man, Simeon. It's later in the book of Luke. It's later in, I think, Luke chapter 2. Simeon is this seer. It was about 40 days into Jesus' life. He's 40 years old, and Mary and Joseph are supposed to take him to the temple. And they're supposed to present him before the priests. And this man, Simeon, he's an old man. He takes the baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, "Lord, your servant can die a happy man because my eyes have seen your salvation." And he's sitting there holding. Take a look back there. A baby boy. He's. Look at that. The. I was gonna make them come up, but I, I don't think you want to. I was like, I thought about just holding Nathan during the whole message, but that would have been really distracting for all involved, mostly me. But Simeon, this man, he's holding this little tiny, I mean 40 days, what, 8, 9, 10 pound package of human? And he says, I could die a happy man because my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the little thing that's going to come and set the world right. This is the little thing that's going to bring peace instead of angst. This is the little thing that's going to bring joy instead of depression. This is the little thing that's going to bring light instead of Darkness. And it's like he's overwhelmed with this emotion. In this little tiny package. Because it wasn't the packaging, it was the content. And that's, I think, a message for me. That's one of the things that Christmas teaches me, is that God says, no, the worth of something is found in the content, not the packaging. That's something I learned from Christmas. Think for a minute. Look back at Nathaniel. I just—it's so hard to think about. Colossians one says that in Jesus, the fullness of the triune God was pleased to dwell. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were sucked into a package that big. That's a potent little thing right there. But it's the content, not the packaging, that gives it its worth. And God's like, "Do you get that, son?" I'm like, ah, apparently last night I didn't. Because I was really caught up in the packaging of what this morning was going to look like. You guys ever get caught up in the packaging of something? Maybe neglect the content? So one of the things that... Where am I going with this? One of the things that this tells me is that maybe... It's the underwhelming things in life, the unassuming, the unapproved, the unaccepted, the unglorious. Maybe it's those things that sometimes become the containers for the most glory. Have you noticed that? I mean, any of you guys, Kind of, you look at your life and you're like, man, I'm just, just trying to put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> I'm just... Where is the glory in my job or this mundane task or this... The same thing after same thing. This is so my... Anybody ever feel like you just... Have you ever even thought that? Like, my life is so underwhelming. I thought that following Jesus would look like blank. I thought that being a Christian would look like blank. I thought that community would look like blank. You are know, like, my life is just so underwhelming. And Jesus is like, hey, I know how that feels. And I can work with that. Anybody feel that ever? So something I would encourage you to is to say, Jesus, where is your glory hiding in the underwhelm of my daily life? How would my perspective on life change if I focused more on content over package? And just one other thought. I find it fascinating that Jesus orchestrated. I mean, it's interesting to think about Jesus having a hand in the planning of his own birth. But I mean, he was there as the Word before he was Jesus, the human, right? So, don't you think he? I mean, I don't know. It'd be a fascinating theological discussion to have. I'm sure Susan would love to be part. I see, like you thinking about things like this. Like, did did Jesus know what his human entrance would be like? Like as the Word, did he? This is, I, I, did, I guess, did I tell you what Zach said the other day that was like, whoa, that's interesting? He said, how did he say it? Zach is our, our five-year-old. He said something about, Jesus. Jesus had a mom and dad, but he also made his mom and dad. Yeah. He's like, Jesus had a mom and dad, but he also made his mom and dad. He got this kind of like flip-flop, like, Man, that, that's a whole nother message to think about Jesus learning what it's like to be sucked into our experience and see life from a human vantage point. But where am I going with this? I think that there was some intentionality on God's part to be born in the midst of a manger or in the midst of all these animals with animal garbage, the smells, That I think to me it says that Jesus is not intimidated by the grossest, dirtiest, least glorious places on the planet. But actually, the incarnation and the way Jesus entered the world means that every crevice of our existence, including the darkest and most garbage-ish places of our hearts, Jesus is totally at home there. Now that could mess with our heads a little bit if we let it. Jesus is totally at home in the smelliest, grossest, least glorious crevices of our lives and our hearts. He's not intimidated by it. He's not overwhelmed by it. He's not frightened by it. He's not even frustrated by it. Isn't that what the Incarnation says? Jesus says, I'm stepping in To the darkest corner of humanity. John says it this way. John 1, it says, the light shines in the midst of the darkness. Jesus didn't say, okay, make the darkness go away and then I'll come because I'm too holy for that. Jesus said, where's the darkness? Okay, that's where I'll go because I'm light and that's what they need. But have you ever found yourself having that mental dialogue? It's like, well, if Jesus found out about that, you know, Isn't that what a lot of our lives consist of? I know that we, we know, we know that God is omniscient and you can't hide anything from God. But honestly, have you ever tried? Come on, who hasn't tried to hide something from God? It's a silly idea. But at the same time, it's because we don't understand this whole reality that John said, John chapter 1, John said, the word... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, face to face, and the Word became, and he doesn't say anthropos, he doesn't say human, he says the Word became flesh. There's a difference between humanity and flesh in Christian terms, isn't there? Humanity is humanity, flesh is Jesus stepped into the very deepest recesses of our being, of our anxiety, of our shame, of everything that has skewed and distorted and led to the performance and the desire for approval. Jesus has stepped into all of that. And you know what he did that makes him unique? You know what the beauty of the Incarnation is? He stepped into all of that, yet he never lost his way and lost his sense of approval and acceptance and belongingness to the Father. And that's what he comes to share with us. I pull back the curtain a little bit that reality that i was just trying to articulate to you just blows my mind i feel like there's something so stunning there the reality that there's no crevice or corner or or area of darkness no no piece of our human existence that jesus hasn't touched and brought his father and the holy spirit into that just blows my mind and what it does is it brings me to this place where i'm just like ah uh, I don't even know what to do with that. That's where I pull back the window. And I'm just like, uh, okay, can we have a little kind of heart-to-heart moment right here? Um, Yeah, Mr. Pastor that's supposed to know what to say and what to do and how to facilitate ministry. I just sit stunned at the reality that Jesus is that for us and that good that he would see our pile of garbage over there and he doesn't just kind of do this, ew, I'm holy thing and and run away from it. But he's like, oh, if that's where my kids are, that's where I'll be. And he runs and dives into the midst of it. And he fills it with his glory. He fills our garbage with his glory. And I just sit under that truth and my heart just wants to go, my brain just wants to go. And so that's where I meet you right now. It's just this reality that Jesus is exploding my mind with the stunning truth of Christmas, and I don't know how to take you deeper into it. I I might grow into that someday, but I doubt I ever will, honestly. So I hope that's okay, if I can't kind of keep the performance up from here on out. But maybe we could just say, Jesus, what do you want to do with this? Does anybody else find their heart stirred in any way? Is there, I mean, is is there something that God is wanting to say to you in the midst of this? Or am I the only one kind of sitting? In the, and that's fine. If I, but anybody else just feel like God's just trying to kind of ching, ching, like bring some light in somewhere? Yeah. Let's, let's take a couple minutes. Let me just hear what, what is God saying to you all? And then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll celebrate. Maybe we'll sing again. Maybe we'll sit. Maybe we'll cry, maybe we'll laugh, I don't know. But yeah, let me, let's let briefly, let's hear from like three people and just see what, yeah, Chris, you, we're going to share first. Um, I am going to ask you to stand, even though it's Christmas, because I don't want them to miss out.